0: Hi. This is Abadi Anax and welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. Several months back, I had the opportunity to interview nature and landscape photographer Jay Patel who's uh, an amazing photographer and who's well-known in that community of photographers who like to photograph the natural world, but I only have the opportunity to tell half the story because the other half is his wife, Verena Patel, who's just as accomplished as a photographer and writer and instructor of photography as he is. It's not often that I have the opportunity to interview a husband and wife who share the same passion for photography, and it's always interesting to get their different perspectives in terms of how they approach photography and just practice something that they love to do. So I hope you enjoy our conversation with Verena Patel. This episode of the Candid Frame is sponsored by Adobe Lightroom 4. Perfect your photography from shoot to finish with Adobe Photoshop Lightroom 4 software. Now, one of the things that you discover as you start shooting with a digital camera is that the file that you produce in camera is just your starting point it's it's the raw material by which you get to see your vision to completion and the develop module in Lightroom 4 has all the tools that you need in order to see that through from cropping your images to color correction to sharpening to everything imaginable you'll find within this one great application it makes a huge difference in my photography and when I see my images through to that final print or when I post it online Lightroom provides me everything that I need in order to make sure that that image is optimized to its full potential. And I think you'll find the same for your own images. And if you haven't tried Lightroom 4, now's a perfect time to use it. You can actually download a full version of Lightroom 4 by just clicking on the link on the website at thecandorframe.com. And if you already own a version of Lightroom 4, then click on the link as well because there you'll find a host of different resources provided by Adobe on how to make the most of this great application. So try it today and discover how Adobe Lightroom 4 can make all the difference in your photography. We also have the support of Squarespace. And our friends at Squarespace have this great product, Squarespace 6. It's a do-it-yourself website builder that helps you to make a website or blog in just a few minutes. Squarespace handles all the hosting, gives you a free domain name, and has 24-hour customer support. Everything on the platform is drag and drop, so it's incredibly easy to use. For example, you can drag pictures straight from your desktop and create custom layouts with multiple columns and text that wraps perfectly around your images and videos. The new templates are clean and crisp. It puts the focus on your photography. Additionally, you can switch to a different template at any time. And unlike a lot of the other ready-to-made website uh, services that are out there, these templates have been redesigned and they have some new templates there that really showcase your images beautifully. One more thing that's really special about Squarespace is that your images will look great on any device because the website you create Will scale automatically to fit perfectly on an iPad, iPhone computer, or any other device. Import content from your blogs and push your content back onto your social network. Go to squarespace.com forward slash candid frame to start a free trial. No credit card is required. When you're ready to purchase, click enter an offer code below the pricing at checkout and enter the offer code candid frame 11 to get a 10% discount that's squarespace.com forward slash candid frame offer code candid frame 11 one word candid frame 11 well good morning Verena. welcome to the candid frame thanks so much um, I had a chance to interview your husband a while back, and I knew that I wanted to have you on the show, so I'm glad we were finally able to, to sit down and have a chance to talk to you about you and your own work. And one of the interesting things while uh, reading about you and in, in, in your work was the amount of attention you give to researching a location that you're going to go to. Uh, a lot of photographers who I talk to seem to have a sort of a consensus in terms of the, the better you know your subject, better your photographs are. And I thought a good place to start would be you sort of detailing, you know, how much time and, and what you do in order to become really familiar with a location, regardless of whether you've been there before, in order to make sure that when you do get there, you're able to make the best photographs that you can.
1: Um, well, yeah, there's, there is a lot of research that goes into it. We, um, we don't get to travel as much as we'd like. Um, so we have to sort of make the most of the time that we have on location. Um, so rather than going to, uh, you know, the, the iconic locations or, or the biggest, most exciting, uh, locations, what we're looking for are, um, really neat lighting conditions. Um, so we do research online before we go looking at weather patterns, um, and, uh, you know, uh, conditions that we can expect, although they, they change so quickly that that's something we, we also uh, look into while we're on location. Um, and we also uh, look at topographical maps. We look at tide charts, um, sunrise and sunset times. Um, you know, it's, it's important to know, for example, which direction the sun is going to rise, of course. But then beyond that, we need to know how high the uh, mountain is in that direction or, or whether or not there's a valley, because that will actually change the, the time that the sun comes over the horizon. Yeah. We do a lot of research like that. We also talk to other photographers who live in the area or have visited the area. We will, um, go in and talk to national parks, um, employees. Uh, the rangers are wonderful. It's amazing how much they know. And, uh, you know, y- you walk in and you let them know that you have a lot of respect for what they do and they love to talk, and they love to share what they know. And so, uh, you know, once once it's clear to them that you absolutely respect the environment and that you'll do everything you can to make sure that it it's protected,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: they're very very willing to share, for the most part. Yeah. So we've met a lot of really neat rangers.
0: Well, I can imagine that you know that research sort of helps you um, sort of plan. But like you said, mm-hmm. things are really subject to change. Yes. Um, so c- can you give me an example of a time where you were at a location that things were changing, but the fact that you had done the research really helped you to be able to make a really informed choice that helped you to get the photograph?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, I think it happens again and again and again. Um, generally what we'll do is, um, let, let's say for a workshop, for example, we'll go out there with general plans and we always make it clear to our students that, uh, we are flexible that plans will change. You know, we'll say we'll, we'll be at these three locations probably or possibly even, you know, so that morning we'll make a tentative plan. We'll let people know where we're going to be. And we'll start heading in that direction as the skies change, as the, the weather shifts, we're constantly watching the skies. I think, um, You know, the most common sight for, for us in the car is, you know, us craning our necks (laughs) (laughs) to to see up and back and, you know, in, in every direction. Because uh, a lot of what happens in the sky, in, in, with weather patterns is visible in the sky in advance. We can see it coming. Um, and so we will, we will say, okay, look, the, the sky is clearing in the, in the east. It's looking really nice in the west. Never mind the location we said we were going to. We're heading west. And because we've done the location, uh, sorry, done the research in advance, because we have a basic idea of what lies to the west, uh, we can say, all right, you know, we'll we'll have sort of a quick um, conference between the two of us and say, let's try this location instead, mm-hmm. and we'll just change direction and go that way. And that has proved to be incredibly um, useful to us. We also do a lot of exploration. So, um, you know, for example, we've been to Utah probably, uh, 20 or 30 times. I I, I can't even count. I'm not even sure. And each time we're there, when the weather is terrible, if it's pouring rain or if, uh, you know, the sun is really high in the sky and the the light is very harsh, we'll spend a lot of time exploring the area so that the next time we come, we know where to put ourselves based upon what the skies are doing.
0: Hmm. One of the things I'm, I'm kind of curious about is, you know, because things can change so rapidly, Mm-hmm. And you know you 're trying to get to a destination, and I can imagine at least for myself that sometimes i get i would get so amped up <laughs> that that I'm not really in the best mindset to make a good photograph because Mm -hmm. I'm going, I'm going to lose the light. I'm going to lose the light and I'm rushing around and, you -hmm. know, and it ends up just being a wash just because I'm not in a good mindset. So when you're, so when you're racing against time, you're racing against Mm -hmm. the light, how do you kind of sort of, you know, make sure that you're in that mindset that you can just sort of calm down so that you can really carefully analyze the scene, make sure that all your camera settings are right in -hmm. order to make the photograph. How do you sort of, you know, end up, not defeating yourself because you're so you know so you know amped up and preoccupied.
1: right that, that's actually a really good question, and I've seen that a thousand times, especially in my students, and then I say, "Oh yeah, you know, I, I used to do that.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't do it as much as I as I used to because I have learned that um, you know, if the sun sets and I missed the photo, it's really not the end of the world. There will be other photos, you know so so I don't get to the point where I'm sort of uh, panicking at the last minute
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I also as we're driving or hiking um, you know as I'm taking my gear off all those things that you have to do before you can start to shoot my mind is already planning my photo and so you know as the car is coming up over the ridge or as I'm hiking up over that ridge to, to see where I'm uh, where I'm going to be shooting there are photographs already forming in my mind if that makes sense mm-hmm. you know compositions I'm thinking about uh, the best angle for setting up my camera where the light's going to be best uh I'm looking for foreground objects and I'm saying okay I I see 3 4 or 5 different foreground objects so I can plan for photos I'm going to need a wide angle lens a long lens you know whatever it is
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that way it's already the, the cataloging is already beginning in my mind um and then I I think really it comes down to experience after a while you You know without thinking which lens you're going to need. You don't have to try two different lenses or three different lenses in order to decide which one will work best. Um, you know which filter you're going to use. You don't have to say, "Well, do I need a, a three stop or a two stop graduated neutral density you You can just pull it out and and you're right most of the time. Mm. You know, so I really think the experience is is a big part of it, but there's a mindset to it too. You know it's not the end of the world if I miss it. There will be other sunsets or or whatever you know.
0: How does it differ when you're a location you haven't been to before, as opposed uh-huh. to one that you've revisited?
1: Well, yeah, that's a that's a good question. Yeah, I think that um, new locations are so much fun for us. You know, it, that's not to say we don't enjoy uh, visiting locations we've been to before, but there's there's just something about a new location that feels so good. Um, for me, though, nature is. The most calming thing, you know. I, I mean, if you if you look at some of my, um, especially my more recent photos, that starts to come out more and more. This this sense that uh, nature leaves me feeling completely at peace, and so, you know, a, a new location. Then I'm I'm looking for the elements in that location that are creating that feeling. Um, the the sweep of the landscape, the the way the sky. Um, or the light rather is reflecting things like that. And and those things stand out to me. And so as I'm setting up my camera, I can just feel where I'm supposed to be. There's a, there's a certain, I don't know, it speaks to me somehow.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a difficult thing to explain. It's, it's inspiration or, or, you know, uh, one of those beautiful words that that's difficult to define.
0: Do, do, you, do you find that your experience of, the, of nature has changed over time as a result of you not only revisiting locations, but just being out there where it's less, you know, fodder for, for, for photographs. Because I think, you know, when you get out there and you're, you're mm-hmm. fixated with making a, a picture, you can mm-hmm. miss the experience of being out there. So do you think that over yeah. time you've really sort of been able to strike a balance between making your images and, you know, and then actually being present mm-hmm. and, and, and enjoying the time you're out there? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that I think for me that has um that has really changed. Um because when I first started shooting uh landscapes anyway, I I really had to think. I had to think about the settings, the lenses, the filters, every part of it, you know. I, I had to teach myself to see the light, the colors, all those things that we, we really take for granted. But then, you know, over time, all those parts start to come together and they form a very complete and very, they, they form a very complete whole. Mm. And so as I'm standing there with my camera bag on my back, I know what I need to do. I can feel it. I can see the photo in my mind. Now, of course, there are locations where that doesn't happen. You know, there are locations where I say, I am not feeling it today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that happens to all of us. Um, and in that case, I generally pull out a macro lens because um, macro is such an incredibly different, a different way of seeing. And so it forces you um, to, to notice the tiny details, to take apart a scene and see the details in it. And once I can see those tiny details, I can open up my eyes again and, and sort of see the whole scene for what it is. And sometimes I can find a photo where I couldn't before. Um, and and when, when it comes to enjoying that scene or, or that location, being able to see those details and see, like I said, the colors, the uh, the the light, it makes me. It leaves me feeling as if I, I'm at complete peace. Yeah.
0: And, and you know that 's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is about the mm-hmm. the, the macro work because I, I really like the the work that you produce when you do that
1: Thank
0: and you. And, you, and with the landscape it 's easy to talk about you know the, the quality of the light you know the time of day you know the, mm-hmm. the presence of shadows and foreground elements. Sure. How does your mindset sort of change when you 're making uh, you know the close up work what do you, is there a is there a sort of switch in your brain that you have to switch over to start making different considerations for that? Or are they very similar to, to Um,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, actually there, there for me, it's actually a meditation Um, that, that sounds a little odd, I think, but uh, let me explain (laughs) Um, what I do is for, for macro photography in general. I mean, I mean specifically and photography in general, what I do is I take a single element And in determining that that is the most important element in my, in my image, I can let everything else go. And I think when you're, when you're meditating, that's the goal to focus on your center, focus on yourself or, or on a single thought and just let everything else go. Now, in order to make everything else go in photography, you actually have to make a concerted effort. So it's very different in that way. What I have to do is go in and say, okay, in order to um, remove the background as a distraction, I need to use a shallow depth of field or change my angle so that I have um, a, all green in the background or, mm-hmm. or something like that, right? Um, in order to simplify this image, I need to eliminate distracting shadows or, um, or distracting colors or distracting elements. So I'm constantly working, especially in macro photography, to remove distractions, so in that way, it, it feels to me like a meditation and it leaves me feeling that same peace that I would feel, that I feel when I'm meditating, right? Now, that does carry over to my wide angle photography, especially over the past year or so, uh, maybe two years now. My wide angle and um, longer lens photography are becoming much more simplified. I have a much simpler style than I did several years ago and it's the same thing that's happening. I'm removing distractions so that my viewer... Can see more easily what I saw and what I felt maybe more importantly hmm. does that answer the question no yeah, yeah, because <laughs> when i look at your, when you look
0: at your macro, I think that 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 idea of being aware of your backgrounds
2: mm-hmm. is, is
0: so critical because a lot of early ma- macro work I see a lot of people this sort of um, just of the subject itself sort of filling the frame mm-hmm. and there's not really really careful consideration in terms of what's happening with the background particularly right. the the relationship of colors to each other and a lot mm-hmm. of your images I, I, that's what I think I really love about several of your images in your in your gallery is the interplay between color it's not just the subject in mm-hmm. a blurred background to make the mm-hmm. subject stand out but it's just the, the playfulness that you have in terms of you know color contrast or complementary colors mm-hmm. and the kind of vibrant that adds to an image just because you're you're very conscious of that when you're making the composition
1: i am i'm constantly um, conscious of that thanks very much by the way (laughs) for your (laughs) kind words but uh yeah i think um to me color and uh light are absolutely critical the subject is important but color and light are maybe even more important um, so yeah, I'm I'm looking for complementary color schemes or analogous color schemes. I'm looking for colors that that work together to create a mood, or to, um, as I said before, to help eliminate distractions. Mm. If if I have something red in my background, it, it it will grab your eye no matter how blurred it is. It's a distraction in in my mind, you know. And so I have to get rid of that. And whatever the technique is that I use to get rid of it, it it has to work properly or I have to start over. It's not good enough, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a little crazy, but, uh, you know.
0: You know, I oftentimes think when you know when the light is, say, overcast or cloudy, it's, it's a good mm-hmm. opportunity to to photograph macro. So, yes. But that but that quality of light ends up um, not only being flat, but it also does it does stuff to the color. Uh, the mm-hmm. colors tend to have, they're less poppy, they're less That's saturated. Right. So, you know, when you're seeing a scene and you're photographing and you, and you know those things about the quality of the light, how mm-hmm. much consideration are you making in terms of what you're going to have to do later in, in, in post? Or are you trying to make as much of the sort of creative aesthetic choices in, in camera? Or are you sort of mm-hmm. striking a balance between the two?
1: I do most of my work in camera. I know what I can do in Photoshop later. And so, you know, that's always in the back of my mind. Um, but I find that there are two things that I'm I'm constantly aware of. Um, one is, as you said, the quality of light. And what I'm looking for generally uh, is either a very bright, harsh light day, believe it or not,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or a very soft overcast light, not heavy overcast uh, skies, but just a, a Sort of a dusting of clouds, if you will, because that will filter the light in such a way that you have beautiful, beautiful, subtle shadows. And you you don't get that sort of awkward cast that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, harsh light for macro photography is actually excellent as long as you do something with it. Um filters um, you know, even even standing so that your shadow blocks the direct light can make a huge difference. And it's interesting because you're still getting enough light bouncing from from all around you that you have a nice glow to whatever you're working on if the light is that harsh. Um, as long as you're aware of where the light is coming from and where it's bouncing from, you can do well with that. Um, and a lot of times I will use uh, my rain jacket. The inside of my rain jacket is white,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: it's a little bit glossy, and so I'll use that to bounce light a little bit on those harsh days, block the light with my body for... Um, for shade, and then bounce light with the inside of my jacket, or with a, a filter if I happen to be carrying one that day. I actually don't carry filters all the time, um, though I probably should. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, reflectors, filters—they um, can make a big difference. But then the other thing um, that I'm always aware of is color balance in Photoshop. If I look at the back of my camera, most of the time my color balance is going to be off because I actually set it to auto. Uh, It doesn't matter to me what the camera does with it because I'll take it into Photoshop. Every single photo I I take will go into Photoshop. And if nothing else, I will adjust the color balance. A color balance that is only slightly off will absolutely change the feel of a photo. Mm -hmm. If I have a brilliant green waterfall and that green is shifted slightly towards blue, the freshness, the vibrance of the greens is just gone. It's completely lost. And so I may do nothing else in Photoshop. Sometimes I do more, sometimes I do less. Sometimes I do nothing except adjust the color balance to make sure it's just right.
0: So you're not doing much even in terms of adjusting the contrast?
1: Um, The contrast, it depends. Most of the time I will bring up the contrast um, 25% maybe. And I think that that contrast because certain images tend to be very, uh, very flat looking like you were saying in, in um, overcast light, I think contrast is actually pretty important, but when I have a broad range of light, so if I'm doing um wide angle landscape photography, in a lot of cases, contrast enhancing the contrast can cause more problems than it solves. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of beginning photographers believe that, Increasing the contrast, creating that S-curve that we're all familiar with in in, uh, the curves tool or in Photoshop in the raw converter will improve your image no matter what. There are actually times where I create a reverse S-curve to reduce the amount of contrast in an image. And a lot of times I'll reduce the contrast in the background, but then target an adjustment to my subject and increase the contrast just slightly in that area. Um, So yeah, I, I think contrast is very important. It's secondary to color balance, in my opinion. Yeah, but it's probably the second most important uh, adjustment that I'll make. And some people would argue that that exposure adjustments are important. I would argue that if you can get them right in camera, then then you don't have to worry about that adjustment later.
0: Yeah, and it seems like but, you know you, when you bring the image into into in Photoshop, you're you're mm-hmm. really looking at the image as an individual. Piece of work, rather than yes. just thinking. Okay, I, I, every image that I was shot, I always apply an S curve, you know, to increase mm-hmm. the contrast and right. you know, and sort of sort of do a, a workflow by rote, rather than really carefully analyzing each image and trying to decide what does this particular photograph need.
1: Yeah, I think that's critically important. Um, when I first started doing landscape photography, probably around 2005, I actually created a. Uh, Um, a setting in Photoshop that, that, you know, I called it my landscape setting. And I made basic adjustments and saved them. And I would open up a photo and click on that button and boom, it would apply all those adjustments. And um, every single time I did it, I would undo it, start over from scratch and, and start again, because I found that it just never worked. And I probably created 30 or 40 different settings, automatic settings, so that I could do that saved, you know, favorite settings. It, it simply didn't work for me. What I need to do is look at the individual elements in each image as a separate entity, you know, and and I'm talking about foreground versus background in a single image too. Um, the background is a different part of the photo. The The subject is completely different in many, many cases. And so I have to look at them separately. I have to be able to take them apart in my mind and analyze them separately. You know, if I have part of the, area, uh, part of the image in shade and part of the image in shadow, sorry, those are the same thing. If I have part of the image in shade and part of the image in sun, mm-hmm. I need a different color balance for those two areas. And I think um, if I set one and I try and adjust it so that it looks right in one area, the other area will look wrong if i try and do it somewhere in between nothing looks right
0: yeah you know how do you deal yeah. with the challenge of just the limited depth of field because that's you know that's mm. a notorious yeah. aspect of of working with close up even if you have an abundance right. of light you're still you know working with a limited depth of field and mm-hmm. you know w- what are sort of your considerations when you're doing that particularly when the light is is not abundant and right. you know you're having to make a choice in terms of what your aperture is, what your ISO is, and so on and so forth.
2: Yeah,
1: that's right. I mean, especially when I'm working with a, you know, I'm working with a 180 millimeter macro uh, lens. Most of the time when I'm shooting macro, I'm getting very, very close. And I want to open up my, uh, my uh, aperture in order to uh, get as much light in there as possible. So I end up with, in, in some cases, a depth of field that is absolutely minuscule. We're talking about a few millimeters mm-hmm. at most. Honestly, I absolutely love that challenge. Um, for me, photography is a series of challenges, and that's what makes it so exciting. Uh, that's why I love it, because there's always something new to learn. It's never boring, <laughs> you know? Um, so I do a, a variety of things. Sometimes I will um, use focus stacking, although I, I don't use it very often. It's a great technique to know how to use, and it's actually very, very simple to use. So, um, you know, that, that's a fun one. Um, what I like to do, though, is... Figure out how I can make it work in the camera. Hmm. Do I need to back up a little bit? Do I need to, um, you know, narrow my aperture? Do I need to choose a different lens? Do I need to change my composition? What can I do to move the background further away to blur it, or closer to, uh, you know, bring it back into focus? And also understanding how that um, depth of field works. Just just knowing the very basics of um, of depth of field, for example, that it, it is a a flat plane, right? I know that I need to look at my, my, um, uh, subject from a certain angle. If I can work with that angle and come up with a pleasing composition, it's even better. I think new photographers, one of the things that I've seen more often than anything else with a macro lens is they want to get they love that depth of field. They love the way it fades out. And their first thought is, okay, I'm going to focus on the point of this leaf or flower, and I'm going to, I'm going to photograph it from this angle so that it fades out into, you know, into this beautiful soft blur. What they don't realize is that their depth of field is so incredibly narrow that they don't need to photograph it from an odd angle in order to get that fading. And in fact, if they do photograph it from an, an unusual angle they'll get so much fade out that they really won't have a photograph that's appealing to them at all. Mm. They're not accomplishing what they want. And so I'm often showing them, look, you know, put yourself on the the plane, um, on the same plane with your your subject, and take a photo there and notice how much that uh, shallow depth of field is working for you already, and now shift your perspective. Because the tiniest shift is enough. Yeah.
0: Well, between uh, the two of you, um, you're mm-hmm. you're raising six kids,
1: yes. <laughs> and a lot of
0: people, are, you know, are surprised to to hear that you guys are not always constantly on the road going right. to these these wonderful locations. So, one of the things that, that Jay mentioned in terms of is just keeping himself physically fit. So when he does yes. the, have the opportunity to go out there, he is. But most of the year, you guys are at home. You know, maintaining your business.
2: That's right. Raising
0: the kids. So, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you find the time to make sure that you're taking care of your body so that when you do have the opportunity Mm -hmm. to go out there, you know, you're not heaving and hawing (laughs) uh, from the gear (laughs) and and from the hiking and, and what's, and what are you doing, you know, when you do Exercise in order to make mm-hmm. sure that your body's in, is the best shape it possibly could possibly be for such a, mm-hmm. yeah for,
1: that's uh, that 's really important there 's nothing quite like uh, leading a workshop and and being behind everybody else because you can 't keep up you know we can 't do that we need to be able to be at the at the front of the group we need to be able to uh, maintain. a a steady heart rate as we're climbing or, or whatever it is. And, um, yeah, that that's critically important. So we do, we work out year round. Um, I do, um, actually take a Tai Chi class, um, which I, which I really enjoy for basic strength training, um, which is, you 'd be surprised at how much strength is required to hold some of these poses in in Tai Chi and uh, follow some of the forms um that 's also my stress relief you know i hmm. <laughs> I, I am raising six children, so <laughs> <laughs> they' need a little of that but that's that's just the the um, sort of center of what i 'm doing. I also go to the gym regularly um we run regularly, and more than anything else. I'm outdoors with the kids. I'm running around playing soccer with them. I'm, uh, you know, we ride bikes, we rollerblade, we do all kinds of physical activities with them. Um, And so that's, that's where I get most of my exercise really. Mm. Um, Now in the winter, it's a little bit harder because we do live in Northeast Ohio. So we get a lot of snow. It's hard to get out and do those, those things. But we spend a lot of time at the gym. Then we have a membership for all the kids and, and, uh, we're on the track and we're in the weight room and, you know, our 11 year olds this year, it's their first, their first time being able to lift weights and they're thrilled, you know? So, (laughs) so things like that, we'll play soccer in the gym. They have, uh, batting cages and, uh, rather than batting, we play soccer or basketball or, you know, whatever it is. So, keeps us busy, keeps us active. And, you know, the kids have a way of making us feel very, very young, uh, right up until they make us feel very, very old. (laughs) So yeah, it's a lot of fun and and uh, it does, you know, having kids does keep you active whether you want to be active or not.
0: You know, what allows you to be able to do all the stuff that you're doing with your family but mm-hmm. be able to dedicate the amount of time that you need to to your your work in terms of like you said earlier in terms of researching and planning your trips, but also, you know, taking care of processing your images and cataloging them and keywording them and then on top of that teaching workshops, writing books and i mean Mm -hmm. that's that's a lot to be able to do it's Um, a lot so how do you guys sort of manage that because a lot of people you know aspire to do you know Mm -hmm. half of what you're doing (laughs) and and feel like they just they they just can't imagine how they could do it because they're raising maybe not as many kids as you but but nevertheless you know there's so much things so there's so many things in life that can end up sucking up the time and then at the Mm -hmm. end of the day you just have no energy and no time left to do much of anything
1: Right, that's it's true. Um, yeah, it, it's a very difficult balance. Um, but what I found is that I am ex- I'm an extremely flexible person, incredibly flexible, um, and so that that really makes all the difference. Uh, my kids get up in the morning, they go off to school, and I'm working from about um, eight thirty in the morning or eight o'clock in the morning until two thirty when they walk in the door. At that point, I'm not I'm done with with work. Everything gets put away, and you know then I'm helping with homework. I'm I'm helping with uh, getting kids to do jitsu and and uh, soccer practice and theater practice and and swim team or whatever it is that day. And then in the evenings, a lot of times that's when we'll um, work together, the two of us. Once the kids are up in bed, we will um, boot up the computers again, and we'll talk about. Um, the next ebook, how we want to pull it off. We'll talk about, uh, we'll check our mics and make sure that they're working for an upcoming interview or a, or a talk. Um, you know, so all those things that we need to do together, Mm -hmm. uh, we'll do in the evenings. And a lot of times, you know, Jay and I run this like a business, um, that sounds a little bit silly, but it is very, very difficult to find a few minutes to just sit down and talk. Um, but it's critical to running a business to have a, a shared goal, a shared business plan. So we actually will, um, you know, uh, on a morning where it's relatively calm, we'll say, okay, you guys take care of yourselves for a little while. You know, they're, they're old enough to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll hop in the car and drive over to Starbucks, pick up a, a coffee and we'll take notes on my tablet and, uh, you know, write up a plan. And, and that plan is constantly changing too. So this ability to be incredibly flexible to say, okay, this kid needs me right now. I can't work, but I have five minutes here and I can do it there. Mm. No, it used to be that I had to lock myself in a dark room um, in order to process my images, um, to develop my images. And darkroom work takes hours and you really can't stop in the middle. So digital (laughs) photography has made it possible for me to stop what I'm doing and hit the save button and go do what I need to do, go be a parent. So it works out very, very well. The fact that I'm a stay-at-home parent most of the time means that I can be around my kids as much as they need me, and then I don't feel guilty if I go away for a week or two uh, to to teach a workshop or, yeah. or do a trip because well, you, I am here more, more than I'm away.
0: Yeah. Well, you started photography when you were in high school, mm-hmm. and when you were in college, I think you decided to um, study something else because you didn't really think in terms of how do I make a living out of this? But at, right. some, at some point, you, you know, that, that changed for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what helped you, to have the confidence to make that choice. And mm-hmm. did you feel like you were ready, ready? Or did you feel like this is something I want to do and regardless of whether I feel like I'm ready or not, I'm going to do this?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a that's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I started photography when I was 14 and was working in the dark room. I worked in college, or sorry, in high school and college both. I did a lot of photography all those years. And uh, right around 2004 or 2005 uh, was when I went pro. And what happened was, um, I got a call from a friend of a friend and he said, Hey, I'm looking for someone who can photograph this hotel. He he worked for Marriott, the hotel chain, and he invited me to come out and shoot. He had seen some of my photographs on, um, stock sites Mm -hmm. and he said, you know, I like what I'm seeing. Why don't you come out and shoot for us? So I was very, very nervous uh, on this first shoot. I, I flew out there. I had to buy a suit, you know. I, I mean, I don't have this stuff. <laughs> so so I went and I bought a, a nice outfit and I had my lights and I'm carrying all my gear on my back. I'm flying out to Baltimore and uh, I get there and my first assignment is to photograph the, the ballroom, which is being prepared at that moment for a big wedding. Um, so... I walk in and I start setting up my lights. And now the guy who had been doing it before, the photographer who, um, who, he was basically training me, showing me how it worked, but it had been his job up until then. So he starts helping me set up my lights. And I look over and I realize that he actually has my flash units backwards. So instead of uh, reflecting off the umbrellas, he just has the umbrellas behind the flash and the flash pointing into the room. And I thought, oh, well, maybe that was just a mistake. So I go over and I turn it around and he's setting up the other one and he does it again. And I think, you know what? I think I'm going to be okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think
1: I know more than the last guy did. So I'm all right, you know? So it, it was that first experience of feeling like, okay, may, maybe I'm going to be all right. And, you know, by the end of the day, I hadn't eaten anything all day because I was so busy. And I get back to the room and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I know I haven't got a single good photo. I'm doomed. It's the end of the world. And uh, so I ate some dinner. <laughs> and it's amazing how much better you feel after you eat. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I went in and, of course, I had, my photos were fine. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's that leap of, of faith that you have to take. Um, and I ended up working for Marriott for um, – I'm not even sure how long, maybe a couple of years off and on. And uh, at that point, I said, you know, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to work for a corporation. It's it, The politics is terrible. I don't get paid you know, mm-hmm. on time. I said, I want to work for myself, and I want to be able to be home more often than not with my kids. And, uh, yeah, so I I went from there. And it was a slow process, but I realized, you know, I'm good at writing. I'm good at uh uh, photography. I have to look at what my skill set is and I have to go from there and I'm constantly flexible. I'm very um, aware of what's happening with technology and aware of, you know, or at least watching to see where the market is going. So yeah, I mean, getting in on the ground floor with uh, stock photography was a big deal for me. Then moving on to writing eBooks and saying, Oh, here's another thing that I can do. And at the time, not a lot of people were doing it when I first started. And so again, you're in on the ground floor because you're paying attention to the trends. Yeah.
0: Well, you and Jay also teach uh, uh, numerous workshops Mm -hmm. and I'm curious to, to, to hear you talk about learning how to teach photography. Um, oh, yeah. Cause there are a lot of people who put a shingle out and say they teach photography, <laughs> but they don't yeah. necessarily do it, do it well. And I know that for me, one of the things I needed to sort of learn was find my voice as a teacher for, uh-huh. what, you know, what works. Cause it's always most photographers who end up teaching, there's no school for that. You right. know, there's right. a lot of there's it's a lot true. of information out there about yeah. photography, but not necessarily how to share that knowledge and 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 do it well. So what what did, what did you find was the biggest challenge in terms of teaching and and what did you end up finding that really worked for you with respect to that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's um something that took a lot of um, time and a lot of sort of experimentation. Um, I started out doing uh, presentations for local camera clubs um and and other groups. And I found that um, I could do a technical uh, presentation or I could do a presentation that was really based on photographs and experience um, um, on location stories and things like that. And I found that people loved to hear the experience side of things. They love to hear about what happened in the field and things like that. And Their eyes tended to glaze over when I started getting to the technical side of photography. Now, the problem with that is that technical photography is incredibly important. And so what I realized was if I could take a pretty photo and put it up on the screen and get rid of those bullet points and and all the, the text, forget about that. If I could take the photograph and talk about it and mix the technical with the experiential, I could come away with a much more interesting presentation. And so I've carried that over to, to most of what I do. Um, now, that's not to say I never do a technical talk. I do very mm-hmm. regularly, Jay, and I do that. But um, more often than not, we're showing photographs and explaining from uh, from a, a much more experiential perspective in order to teach that way. Now, the other thing that's important is that I think a lot of students feel that The technical side of photography is very difficult and complicated and confusing. And for me, it isn't. It feels so simple because I can take apart a very complex concept and break it down into tiny bits. Mm -hmm. In much the same way I take a complicated scene and break it into tiny parts in order to find my subject and my simplified background. And so I found that if I can take apart those concepts and introduce them in smaller parts and in bite-sized chunks um my my audience tends to respond to that much more positively and uh and not feel that it's so complicated yeah. so um yeah and i've I've spent a lot of years working with kids my own kids i've i've taught um day camps and and uh a, in a montessori school and, and different things like that so i think that teaching children is really not that different from teaching adults
0: yeah you know when there's a marriage between two creatives, mm-hmm. um, it can be a really good thing, and sometimes mm-hmm. it can be a really bad thing. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: um, it's just you know, it's not just about its ego, but it's just about mm-hmm. you know, just a way, just a way of thinking. So, mm-hmm. um, how does the fact that you're not just both photographers, but very creative people, how do you feel that that sort of influenced your your marriage? Because I think that mm-hmm. that's it's usually there's one creative and there's one person who's who's not. Yeah, and so yeah. that 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 contrast can often be a good thing. But when you're so sort of this, you know, tapping into the same vein, how do you mm-hmm. feel like it helps your relationship with Jay in terms of the times when you're not focused on the business and the photography?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the competition between Jay and I is is obvious to people, uh, when they, when they get to know us, but it's a very positive competition. Um, we are constantly working to improve our own work, but we're very willing with each other to, um, you know, to share what we know. In fact, there's, there's nobody I'd rather talk to about this stuff than, than Jay, you know, so we can sit down and, and learn from one another, bounce ideas off of one another. And, uh, you know, if we're in the field, we're constantly photographing, Completely different compositions, even though we're standing side by side um, but then for me to see what he's photographed and for him to see my image, we come away with a a broadened sort of idea of of what the potential really is for that scene mm-hmm. um, so I think that our our photographic skills have expanded uh, a lot because of that um in terms of in terms of the dynamics between us. Um, when we're teaching, it's very different than when we're at home. Um, we, over the years, have have worked out, more and more anyway, how to um, complement each other in the field. We find that uh, some students learn better from me, uh, because I tend to simplify the concepts. Some people learn better from Jay, because he has a very technical way of uh, of explaining things. And so, we find that certain students gravitate towards him and certain students gravitate towards me, but at the same time, it's very valuable for those students to hear from both of us because we offer different perspectives. Um, that isn't to say we always agree with one another. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times we don't. And we, we do let our students know in advance, you know, if if you hear it one way from Verena and one way from Jay, you know, Verena's always right. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But um, yeah, you know, it, it's it's a give and take. It's, it's difficult sometimes because, you know, he wants to go one way and I want to go another way. But um, for the most part, we are able to, sort of agree on a goal a common goal what we want to accomplish in the end and if we get there in slightly different ways then then so be it you Mm -hmm. know
0: well my last question that I ask each of my guests is I ask them to recommend or suggest another photographer for our listeners to go out and explore and it can be anyone someone you've long admired or Mm -hmm. someone you've recently discovered so who would that one photographer be and why
1: I would recommend the work of uh, Susan Onisko. Um, That's S-U-S-A-N, last name O-N-Y-S-K-O. She is an up-and-coming photographer. She's a very quiet personality, and her work is just beautiful. She travels frequently. She travels all over uh, the world. And her goal most of the time is to capture people in their natural environment, but to avoid that, that sort of portrait look she's looking for mm. candid photography and she is wonderful her light is beautiful her you know facial expressions are beautiful and she just she seems to nail it again and again and again so um, she's wonderful she's also a personal friend um, wonderful person and a wonderful
0: photographer mm. so where can people find out more about your photography and your workshops and everything that you're doing
1: um, you can find my work at uh, www.photographybyvarina.com um, you can also visit my blog from that page, and that's updated regularly. You can find all my ebooks there, um, all our ebooks, Jay and I together, and uh, workshop information there as well. So that's, that's the place to start, and everything comes from my website and goes outward. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's the place to begin.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Vareen. I really enjoyed having a chance to talk to you.
1: Thank you so much. It was great talking to you.
0: The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin MacLeod. And this is X, And this is... The Candid Frame.